0: You are listening to Elevating Employee Experience. I am your host, Josh Dreen, and I am joined by Gethin Naden, who is, despite his awesome background, not in America. Uh, Where are you calling in from today, Gethin?
1: So I'm in Cardiff, the capital city of Wales in the UK. Wonderful,
0: And it sounds like you're a little bit of a history buff.
1: Yeah, American history too as well. So yeah, this this small corner of Wales is home to... uh, A few bits of American history framed behind you, which is uh, quite interesting. So, um, yeah, I think you guys have got a great country. I think um, I'm really bought into the idea of the American dream and the founding fathers and kind of, although obviously sometimes that stuff hasn't worked out the way people wanted it to. I think uh, the, the idea behind the creation of America I quite liked.
0: Very cool. Well, this is fascinating to me, and I'm sure that there are some ties into the work that you do. You know, you are an employee experience expert. You focus on well-being. You are an author. Um, tell us a little bit about your book.
1: So my book is called uh, World of Good: Lessons from Around the World in Improving the Employee Experience, um, and it's a way of basically taking the reader around the world, looking at customs and cultures around the world, and things people do in the workplace in different countries. And using that as an example to talk about how we can create great employee experiences. So a great example would be in parts of northern Europe, we have um, a traditional kind of work coffee break was called fika. The idea that you stop, you have a coffee, you have a Danish pastry. Um, and that's evolved into taking time away from work, speaking to your colleagues, building emotional connections. And so I use that as a kind of jumping off point to talk about the importance of having breaks and building those emotional connections with your colleagues at work and so we take people all around the world and just uh it's almost like we've we're taking a kind of hr employee experience business type book but almost turning it into a bit of a novel so actually hopefully it resonates a bit more with the readers rather than just reading a research heavy textbook
0: yes we we need more of that let's get away from the case studies and the research for a second and let's just kind of be human and i i can totally see the tie with history here how uh you know historically how have we um you know talked about employee experience even though we're not talking about employee experience it's just the experiences is it's nice to take a coffee break from time to time or you know I'm sure you've seen patterns in different societies of how employee experience has come to the forefront of the workplace.
1: Absolutely and I think it's important for people to note that so many of the new ideas that exist in you know the big brands like Facebook and Apple and LinkedIn and all these kind of things these are very old ideas and actually hundreds of years ago organizations were doing things that we now consider quite progressive um a great example in the book which ties into kind of wales and my love of history is um there was a guy called joseph owen who used to run some uh, mills making kind of cotton and materials in the uk in the, in the north, of, north of england and uh, you know 150 or so ago, he decided that people were working too many too long a day so 12 hour working day was too much people weren't being productive so he shortened it to an 8 hour working day uh, a gentleman called henry ford came across to the uk and met with this uh, met with this socialist and looked at his ideas around running factories took that idea back to the us uh, and that's why we have the 8 hour working day and obviously that's now going through an evolution but you know we kind of think about that you know the idea of a shorter working day might be a progressive idea but We've slowly been shortening it every hundred years, anyway. So it's not not a, not a new idea.
0: Yeah, no complaining here. You know, as we continue to shorten the workday, <laughs> um, and it's interesting too when you start to see some progressive individuals like Tim Ferriss, who wrote the Four Hour Work Week, where it's we, we've boiled it down to not eight hours a day, but four hours a week, and being able to outsource um, certain elements of work, and especially now that we are all working remote, how do you mandate as an employer? An eight-hour workday—it's almost impossible, especially when you've got kids at home. And so that eight-hour workday usually takes the form of maybe a few hours in the morning before the kids wake up, and then taking a nice break from eleven to two, um, and then working late into the night. That's that's come to be a new reality. So how does your how does your book resonate with some of the new norms of work as we see it in 2020?
1: So I think you know there's there's things in the book around you know when we go to China, we look at things like networking. you know historically in China for hundreds of years, there's been this idea of you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. you know you kind of you build connections with people so that they can do favors for each other. and it's kind of done in a really nice way. Um, and so we're starting to now realize I think people are spending more time in my experience since kind of coronavirus hit and people have been working more remotely. People have been spending more time thinking about how do I build better connections with people? So, how do I network? How do I run a conference? And I'm sure we're all now used to running things like HR conferences virtually. We've probably been to, to lots of them. Um, and we've also started to realize that we can give people the ability to craft their own experience at work and they won't mess that up mm. and they won't go against the business and they will still achieve great things. And it's exactly as you said you know, you trust people to make. Uh, an experience that evolves around their life. Um, and I think that's the right thing to do because for years we've told employees that you know we're merging this work-life balance. We're telling people to get a balance between home and life. We're allowing people to take work at home anyway. Before the pandemic, people were frequently, in most countries, answering emails after the working day, answering emails on weekends or when they weren't at work. And so we were starting to merge their home life and work life We've now actually done that on a massive scale pretty much overnight. And so we can't now expect people to not bring their home into work. So we've literally brought their work into their homes. And so now allowing people to go and do the washing or doing a bit of tidying up in the middle of the day or stopping to take care of kids or going for a walk. You know, why can't we let people craft those working days? As long as they're getting the results we want them to, it doesn't really matter how they work.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating to me. And, and, and given your expertise, do you feel like this will be um, affecting um, our culture and our heritage in any way, right? Because I think that when you kind of mentioned some of these, these, these culture elements bleeding over into the workplace, we've very much been forced into a new world of work. And I'm curious if you will start to see that bleed into um, the culture uh, of our nations.
1: Well, I think when you look at the the rising tide of poor mental health almost in every developed country in the world, um, you're starting to see that this idea that has been drummed into us probably from a marketing perspective for a long time and this false idea that of what success looks like and that success is tied to money unless you're rich, um, you're not a worthy individual in society. That kind of thinking, I think, has driven the poor mental health kind of pandemic that we're in as well as a, a physical pandemic. So... I think we're starting to realize that actually life is more about those quiet moments, the people we spend time with. It's about love and entertainment. And and I know that sounds really romantic, but it feels like as most major societies, we are getting to the point where we're starting to realize it's not all about work. It's about values and purpose. And, you know, if I'm going to go work for an organization, are they making an impact on the world? Am I going to feel valued and recognized for the work I put in? And so i think we've seen this strong tide changing where people actually want to do something more worthwhile with their lives and are less focused on kind of productivity and money and businesses have started to follow as well and i think the pandemic has really surfaced that there is a huge appetite for people now to put people over profits and the research that backs that up shows actually when you do that you start to just generate the money anyway so um, I think that's been a, a, um, a massive change we've seen for a couple of years. And I think the pandemic has massively accelerated that.
0: Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit more about that. I know, I know you're, you're doing research. One of your, your articles, Employee Financial Wellbeing Lessons from Recessions. It's really interesting when you take um, financial well-being and emotional or physical well-being. It feels like both can't exist. In a recession, at least that might be the mentality of some um, executives and some leaders, because we need to either protect the bottom line or we need to protect our people, and both are mutually exclusive. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that works?
1: Yeah, I think it's it's really difficult to manage that, just as ourselves, but also as employers, kind of manage that employee experience during a, a recession and a pandemic. Um, I think what's really interesting is. Quite frequently, money tops the number one reason why people lose sleep at night. It's the number one thing people worry about. In 2020, globally, it was expected that worrying about money would be more stressful to people in their work or their relationships. And obviously a pandemic has hit, and almost overnight you've had, you know, millions of Americans losing their jobs. Um, you've had millions of Americans kind of furloughed and had their salaries cut. And we were not prepared for a big event like this to have such a disastrous impact on our finances. So right across the world, all the research is pointing to in the largest physical global health pandemic we've ever seen, the biggest wellness concern isn't physical. The biggest wellness concern is financial. And most major economies have also gone into a recession. So even when this pandemic is vaccinated against, which hopefully looks like it might be soon, we are still going to be in most major economies in a recession. Uh, and during recession, you know, people struggle, you know, people struggle with uh, making ends meet. People struggle with having the money to do the things they want. And so, financial well-being has become again a a growing trend over the last few years Um, and seeing its impact on mental health means we're actually starting to realize that something like financial well-being has a major impact on our employees mental health because worrying about money is stressful and taxing and it's also having an impact on our physical health because actually it's manifested itself in the fact that we're not sleeping properly Um, and that kind of continued kind of uh, moment of stress that people are under when they 're worried about money that has a physical effect on them because you, your flight or flight kicks in and you 're kind of sat there worrying about money and trying desperately to, to think about how you might get out of the situation you 're in so I think it 's really important for employers to to realize that as we recover from the pandemic, which might take you know, years for most economies to do that, employees will still be worrying about money so trying to support them with the tools and education they need that they probably don't get from most governments is really is really important.
0: Yeah. And just that uncertainty floating, floating over an employee's head. I mean, before it was, I've got a job, everything's going fine. And in an instant, it's like, I could lose my job at any time. I mean, how many employers, employees were fur- furloughed? How many were fired? How many are still on the fence because we can't recover in the way that companies were hoping to. Um, and, and so it's just, it, it it's, it's hard because a lot of people, I think, are just saying, why am I feeling this way? And it's like, if you really tune in, there are still a lot of stressors. And yes, it's, it's great that you can go to the grocery store and you still ha- can feed your family. But what about the money earned to feed your family? What about rent? Like There are, there are so many low-level needs that are being threatened right now like they've never been before. And it's, it's harrowing sometimes.
1: Yeah, and I think what employers need to realise is this is trauma. This is psychological trauma that people are going through. Um, When we look at the research that came out of parts of Asia during the SARS and MERS epidemics kind of 20-odd years ago, we know that when we lock people down, they display symptoms of post-traumatic stress. So what employees are going through at the moment, with all the things you've said, is... You know, any one time, life is pretty stressful, right? We all know that it gets to us and modern life is, you know, with social media and everything else is even more stressful than perhaps it was 20 years ago. And now they're dealing with a lot more um, on top of that. And I think it's really worrying to see that some employers aren't taking that seriously. And I think they feel like as soon as the pandemic is vaccinated against and we all go back to life, at, life as normal, that these problems will go away. But all of the research, all the psychological research that's coming out of medical journals is telling us that this will be another wave of the pandemic will be the mental health impact because people have been so stressed and worried and on edge and worried about money. That's going to be with us for some years to come. So I think it's a problem we're going to be dealing with for five years or so.
0: So so give us some advice here as the expert. How, If we're going to be in this for five years, is there any practical strategies we can start doing now? You know, breathe. Yeah, <laughs> take deep deep breaths. But like, what what can we do to to be able to to cope?
1: I mean, on the on the money side, you know, there's a a lot of information came out on the back of the last recession in the US and the UK and right across Europe that showed. You know, the Brookings Institute said that you know if people had a better understanding of money and a basic understanding of uh, economics we would have weathered that storm a little bit better. You know, people would have understood what a, prime, a subprime mortgage was. People might not have get, got themselves into some of the difficulties they did in the financial crash in kind of 2008. Um, what we can now see, and you know, that article you just mentioned, Lessons from Recessions, is we know that when people are in recessions, financial education becomes really, really important. And there's a huge amount of work being done by people like McKinsey and, George, and Georgetown University in America who are really looking at the impact financial education has on people making better financial decisions. Um, We know from um, some websites like Comcast that during the recession, people have been self financial educating. So traffic to investment and kind of finance related websites has been the highest it's ever been. And people have been staying on those websites for longer as they try to understand, you know, if I'm worried that I might get furloughed or I might lose my job soon, I need to get better at understanding how I'm managing my money now so I can protect myself should that happen. Um, and we've seen, you know, in the company I work for, Benefits, we offer employee benefit schemes and we've seen a massive surge in benefits from people wanting life insurance and group income protection and critical illness products where people have started to realise that if I had some of those insurance products in place before the pandemic, if I did lose my job, I would be insured against some of the horrible things that might happen to me. And so, from a financial point of view, you know, you've got the OECD in the UK, you've got the Bank of England in the US, you've got the Federal Reserve Bank, and they're all saying that financial education during periods of crisis and financial turmoil is really, really important. So, I think employers can start to look at all the many providers that are available right across the world to help people just better understand their money and learn tips around kind of budgeting and saving. And then, when it comes to mental health, you know, all the research I found when researching the book was heavily looking at the fact that if you want a good mental health, there's some really basic things you can do. Um, Fresh air releases serotonin. Even in cloudy days, the number of serotonin you can kind of release in your body by just going for a walk, even when the weather's bad, is quite significant. Um, Spending time in nature or forest bathing as the Japanese call it. So spending time in the woods, laying on grass, just out in nature has a significant impact uh, on our mental health. And some studies have even found that even if you live close to running water, even if that running water is fake, so like a fountain or, or a pond, um, you go to visit your doctor less when you live close to water. So we have evolved quite significantly as humans, but those very basic things, what it is to be human, to get outside, to spend time in nature, really has a big impact on our mental health. And I think it's a really cost-effective, if not free thing, for employers to be able to do is to encourage their people in the middle of the day, exactly as you said, Go for a run. Go for a walk. Take twenty minutes out of your work and make that part of the structure of your day.
0: Ah, that that is so helpful. I love the the visualization of taking a forest bath. <laughs> it's yeah, forest no. bathing sounds like exactly what I need. And I I have found myself that you know st- stuck in this basement during quarantine and and really just needing to get out and smell the roses, if you will, is is definitely a great way to detach from the zoom fatigue, detach from the pressures of work and realize, you know, there is a, a much bigger picture here and, and we're going to make it through that, that. That was extremely helpful. Is there any other practical advice coming out of your book or things that you've been researching recently that can really help us to maximize our productivity without burning out at this time?
1: So I think uh, a bit of a spoiler alert for anyone who wants to read the book uh, and doesn't get to the end. Um, it's, it's all about creating positive experiences for people. We know there is so much evidence now that says when you treat your people right, when you treat them with care and respect and kindness, your business will thrive. It's as simple as that. They are, it's not even up for debate anymore. I think there is enough evidence to suggest that for those industries and those businesses that treat employees well, put employee well-being and mental health at the center of their kind of cultures they simply perform better. And in most cases, they have four times the shareholder return of companies that don't do that. So it even satisfies shareholders when you take care of people. Mm. I think at the moment, employers just need to realise that for the next few years, the continued pressure people are going to be under is they can't work in the same way that we used to expect them. The world has changed. It's not the same way. And we just need to be a little bit more kinder. So I think with the way we manage people's performance, the way we speak to them, the way we check in on them, I think we just need to kind of really give people a bit of a wide berth and just be a little bit kinder and patient with them. And again, you know, the research shows that when people feel supported and they feel like they work for a boss who's caring, they deliver better customer service, which improves customer loyalty, which improves revenue. Um, but also they don't leave us quickly or they don't leave us frequently. So what you end up with is employees that stay with you for longer. And as Josh Burton says, you know, employees are an appreciating asset That's generally the longer you keep them, the better they get. And obviously replacing people costs money as well. So it kind of makes complete business sense to take care of people.
0: Ah, I love it. It's such a sound argument in my mind that when you approach a leader and say, Hey, we need to be kind. We need to be caring. Let's be a little bit more agreeable during this pandemic and know that, you know, we can't require the same level of performance potentially for certain employees, but giving them that that birth letting them settle into the new normal of work is going to return multiple, multiple times. So that, that is a wonderful message. My, my last question for you is I'm, I'm noticing your pendant in the back. You know, typically you put a slogan or you stand by your country or your school. Um, it's, it's very important the messaging that you put on your pendants. And I notice you've got one that says, be humble back there. Can you tell us a little bit about why you've decided to have that up on your wall?
1: Um, I think it's um, as you kind of progress in your career I think it's very easy to become complacent with what you do and I think you know I'm lucky that I'm in a position where I'll speak at conferences or write the book or write articles for kind of magazines and you get lots of comments back from people and you obviously people agree with what you say and share that content and so I think it's really easy to kind of get carried away with your own thought leadership and believe that you've got everything right and so that Pennant for me is just a reminder that I don't know everything. I will never know everything. Um, there's so much more for me to know than I will ever know. Um, and so that's kind of, it's just a way of grinding uh, grinding me grounding me down a little bit and just making sure that um, I don't get too carried away with my own thoughts, which, you know, when you're, when you're considered an expert by people, I think it's quite easy to do. I think people get a bit full of themselves when they get referred to as an expert.
0: Mm, that is a wonderful and humble message, something that, I think is refreshing for our listeners to hear from the experts who get come on here and preach the good word, their good word, um, but often don't take the time to take a step back and listen to other people and get a, a more holistic view. So that is just an absolute great testament to the work that you're doing. Listeners, if you want to get his book, it is an amazing read, a world of good lessons from around the world in improving the employee experience a lot more fun read than you usually get when the, in the employee experience world but my philosophy is if you can't be engaging how can you teach engagement and i think you are a perfect example of that Geffen. thank you so much for being on the show with us today
1: thanks for having me great podcast that uh, great work you're doing so thank you